0: What happens when the media popularizes or stereotypes certain animals? How do we deal with the influx of new breeds and even cosmetic procedures? This week, we're going to talk about that and a whole lot more on the Veterinary Viewfinder. Welcome back to the Veterinary Viewfinder, the podcast that tackles the toughest topics in veterinary medicine. And this week, once again, we have seen a popular movie sort of bring out a breed that might have some problems and this week we want to talk about how we as veterinary professionals can stay in front of these sort of stories as they break and what advice we can offer the pet loving public on certain breeds and even cosmetic procedures but before we get into that conversation and a whole lot more as always I am one of your co-hosts Dr. Ernie Ward
1: and I'm registered veterinary technician Becky Mosser.
0: And Becky, I will be the first to admit, I kind of am a fan of a lot of the Disney stuff. I love Star Wars. Just just put it out there, okay? I kind of like all that kind of stuff. But lately, there's been a new sensation caused by a new movie, a big hit movie for Disney, and that kind of led us to today's conversation. So maybe back up a little bit and explain what the heck we're going to talk about.
1: Well, it's, I think, a... A thing that we see in trends but and I don't know if you've seen it yet I don't have early access so I'm still waiting but the new (laughs) Cruella movie is out Um, and as those of us who have been around maybe a little longer than others we've seen the 101 Dalmatians trend Uh, result in 101 Dalmatians in practice
0: and a lot of urate bladder stones as well
1: Oh sure, right and uh, deaf dog and um, you know <laughs> behavior problems, behavior issues exactly. And 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 I, don't, I think people forget Dalmatians are working dogs. But before we get into all of that, <laughs> that's what we're talking about is just the fact that I have seen in my colleagues a influx of posts and conversation around it, almost like dreading what could or might or probably will happen. With the popularity of this movie.
0: Uh, and I have not seen the new one because it's still 30 bucks on Disney. Come on, I'm I've, I've stream you guys and give I'm me a break. You. Yeah, no. but, but regardless, you know, so we are worried a little bit about sometimes breeds that require a little more care and attention sort of becoming popularized. And we mentioned the 101 Dalmatians, which, of course, also has to do with Cruella Deville. <laughs> because she was in the sequel to that as well uh but regardless you know these are issues the other thing too becky that i want to talk to the viewfinders about today what about like some of the cosmetic procedures and even some at-risk breeds so by that i mean like the stereotypes that we see of of dobermans with those cropped pointy ears drives me crazy it's so unnecessary so if you are a fan of ear cropping out there guys this is probably the time to turn off our podcast because I am not a fan of ear cropping in any way, shape, or form. How about you, Becky?
1: I mean, I just have a really hard time with it. I've worked in clinics that perform that procedure, and I've seen the complications, the recovery, kind of seen everything about it that I don't love. But you're right. It creates a visual stereotype. And I think what we see... Of course, there's anthropomorphism. We see that, right? Like, right. you know, grizzly bears and raccoons are not your best friend. <laughs> right. But when we see, you know, there's even another um, movie I just watched the other day. It's animated with dogs, and I can't even remember the name of it now. Is like Bad Dog or Good Dog or some kind of dog. But that, it, uh, to be fair, Snoop Dogg plays the Doberman. Uh, cast nice. very well. Not going to lie. But you're, but same thing. Yep, pointy right. ears, um, and then even things like. Uh, the cone of shame, right? The, there are so many things in our space that get depicted in a certain way in the media that we have to work against the stereotype once people come into our clinic and they have to you know, deal with that type of thing. So we're doing the educating, the re-educating and the correcting of a lot of what media is putting out there. And I think that it really affects some of the trust, And some of the um, conversations that we have to have and a major concern, again, with a lot of my colleagues.
0: Yeah. And and I'm glad you kind of brought up the language because Cone of Shame actually has been it's bugged me from day one when this became more popular because the dog didn't do anything wrong. The cat didn't do anything to be punished for. I mean, there's no shame in this. This is a protective device that we're trying to use to aid in healing. So I think it's gotten all weird and twisted up. And, you know, and, and so we just have to be careful, right? Do we perpetuate some of these stereotypes? And, you know, it is interesting because like when you see pit bulls depicted in the media, even if it's like a rescue situation, a good intended media outreach or program, I mean, Becky, let's face it, they've got spiked, studded collars they're big beefy dogs you know they're usually somehow talking about well this one's not aggressive it's like well by you actually saying this one is not aggressive you just perpetuated the myth that all pit bulls are aggressive and this just happens to be the outlier so I think we have to be really careful how we sort of I think participate in this
1: yeah well and I think actually to be fair the problem is we don't participate in this I think that Disney does not have a veterinary team on staff saying how does our animations look What are we doing wrong? So I think the problem is, once again, businesses have gotten in front of veterinary medicine and we are out there trying to play catch up. And so I see a lot of reactivity and frustration and irritation and anticipation. So now we have another problem, right? Like So now as a veterinary technician, am I automatically pissed off at my next Dalmatian puppy parent that comes in because I'm going to feel like they just fell toward a fad? Am I going to hold animosity toward a client who, or judge a client who asks about an ear cropping procedure because they don't know any better. And when they see these dogs depicted in the media, this is what they see. This is the quote unquote prime example of this particular breed. And then even in the level of intelligence portrayed, like I was thinking about when you were talking about like a pit bull or really like any of the bully breeds, they are almost all depicted by males and they're very frequently not intelligent dogs. They're not depicted as intelligent dogs. And so they, again, anthropomorphize these species in a way that translates to our clients as okay, well, this Jack Russell is really smart, and and this bully breed is kind of a big dummy, and I <laughs> right. think that can affect how our clients respond to or seek out certain breeds of pets,
0: or or even train them, raise them, yeah. right? Because now suddenly you've got a pit bull, and you're saying, well, it can't be that smart. These guys are aggressive, so I have to like overcorrect everything, and then don't worry, they can't learn a bunch of commands, which you know, again, we we allow our False perceptions in in many of these cases, I would argue, to actually influence the way we interact with them. And, you know, it's funny, Becky, I've lost many, many clients over the years over a conversation like this. They bring in a Doberman puppy with the cute floppy ears and I make a comment like, oh, he's so cute. I love these big floppy ears. And they're like, oh, no, we're going to get them trimmed and it's yeah. like not here you're not and and they just you know of course then typically a uh, a very passionate discussion ensues in which we both part ways <laughs> yeah. yeah because you know it's just ridiculous and i'll tell you right now there's a popular instagram uh, veterinarian who just had her own dog doberman with these Oh, it breaks my heart. She was like, you know, showing the surgery and the aftermath, and now it's beautiful. And it's like Becky, it just it breaks my heart. It breaks yeah. my heart. So yeah. again, well, sorry if you're a fan. Cosmetic. I'm not a fan. Not a fan. Yeah. Not a fan. No. Now the other thing too, Becky, you know, there continues to be a persistent drumbeat of opposition in the UK against some of the what they call flat-faced breeds. So you know the pugs and the Frenchies and and so forth, and the bulldogs, and and you know they are talking about them as mutants. They are talking about them as deformed dogs. I mean, have you seen some of the language that you're using? They've really amped up sort of their attacks because it seems to me there's a very concerted, both veterinary professional and animal welfare uh, move to ban these breeds, which
1: I don't know if I agree with that either. It makes me think about the cigarette pack warnings in other countries. You know, like we're in America, it's all very technical and scientific and in other ones, it's just like pictures of black lung and just like saying smoking will kill you and you're a complete idiot if you open this pack and smoke. Like it makes me think about that, how other countries handle things so much more blatantly and clearly yeah. and advanced than we do. <laughs> and it, it sounds like that's what they're doing with these dogs. Now, again, I, so this is so hard, right? And, 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 yeah, and welcome right. to the podcast where we don't have answers um, <laughs> because I don't want to be blamed for a, a, a solution or a non-solution, but Here's the double-edged sword to me, Dr. E. We've got one side making fun of everything ending in doodle, right? And right. we're like, oh, you just have a mutt and yada yada. And then in America, you're not allowed to even mix in like a 1% of anything else with these flat-faced breeds to make them more medically. Right. Right you know, I don't even want to know the, I don't know the word, like, like last day is what I want to say. (laughs) Like I want them to have some kind of snout and some kind of breathing apparatus on their face. Um, and it's not allowed where it is by some of the other breed standards in other countries. Um, so it's a really roundabout answer to say, just like, it's really hard to agree with completely getting rid of a breed. I've heard great, you know, there's great arguments on every side, right? Like there's no reason to breed, then there's what well, we breed for preservation. Um, but what I know is, or what I feel is it is not veterinarians and true veterinary professionals and, you know, um getting involved in making these decisions. And so my appointment, my appointment, my opinion, mute moot as it is, is more focused on the fact that, Whatever I feel doesn't matter so much as who is making these decisions and leading these movements, and are they for the correct reasons. It would be UK or US.
0: Right, and and again, I guess, viewfinders, just to be clear, I'm not making a statement one way or the other on, like, do I believe that Frenchies should be banned, although I don't in general like breed bands but but what I what I'm really digging at here is calling them mutants calling them deformed like it's this is what I'm kind of getting at today like you know again if you have a Doberman portrayed in the media with the the tall pointy cropped ears you know that then perpetuates people to go oh that's what a Doberman is supposed to look like so therefore they leave Dr. Ernie Ward because he won't do their ears like that you know so what I'm saying is if you then call dogs mutants and deformed and all these other horrible names that they're actually using publicly now you know are we creating this culture of shaming and if so is that actually the right way to make change like like, i think that's really what i'm trying to explore at least with this conversation
1: sure and it makes me wonder though like because you know if you need a a reaction from society to be at a level six you know you have to come at them with a level eight right like so do we have to go so big as to use words like deformed and mutant to get people to really start to think like as minimal as maybe a bad idea because I, f- I feel like we become so desensitized that you really have to go that big to be that clickable of a link, to be that catchy of a headline, to be that big of a word to reach into people's you know implicit bias to try to change their perception of what they may override logic with because... Of cuteness and adorableness and puppiness, right? And, and it's funny because while you were saying that, I was almost thinking about how, like, how many people have said to me in the past, I'll never own a pug because their eyeballs pop out. Right, right. And there's right. like that perception. And I was thinking about how in media, so often they're portrayed as these crazy googly eyed, like twitchy, um, almost like mentally incapable breeds. Um, and so then there becomes this bias based on this, like, why does everybody think pug eyeballs pop out that easy? I, I don't understand. You know, how has that become the misnomer? <laughs> so um, it was it making me think about that when you said it. Again, I'm like, well, do we have to go so high for shock value to even get people to start to think logically?
0: That's a really good point. And, and again, getting back to like the Cruella movie, because. I think viewfinders. We're going to see an influx in Dalmatians and Chihuahuas and maybe Chinese Crested hairless dog. I mean, I think we're going to see you know those kind of dogs. And I think there's plenty of mutts in the movie as well. But you know, regardless, you know, when the media gets out there and says, "Wow, this is cool," and and I anticipate once again that lots of people are going to come in with little dressed up Chihuahuas, just like Corella in the movie, right? And they're going to have their little Chinese Crested, you know, in a in a stroller. And that's that's all well and good. But you know, again, each of the those breeds has some particular issues. And I remember back in the day when Paris Hilton was at her height of popularity, you know, we saw lots and lots of Chihuahuas with hydrocephalus because they were overbreeding them. They were selling dogs that were obviously deformed but people didn't know it so again you know are we beginning to take advantage of an unsuspecting public also sometimes like so maybe people don't understand that cropping a doberman's ears is really painful maybe they don't understand that there are risks associated with a frenchie right i mean so That's where I think we as veterinary professionals have the biggest responsibility. And I think you keep saying that over and over again, Becky.
1: (laughs) I think I do. But but you're absolutely right, and you said it eloquently, right, is how do we get in front of that to create – are we even – so again, like I think about adoptions, right, and how important pre-purchase counseling is because you get people who go in and they're like – Oh, I had a, I had a black lab growing up, and I just want a black lab so bad. And love like, them,
0: love them, love them, yeah.
1: Right, and it's like, but I work 12 hours a day, and I work from home. Um, well, this is not... That thing's going to throw a tennis ball at you all day long until you lose your mind, or <laughs> you know, or whatever. So that pre-purchase counseling that, that shelters do is so important, and, and then this is what I'm thinking about when you're talking about that, right, is, again, we, we look at this movie, we look at this commercial, we look at whatever... And we get a perception in our head that that this is what this breed is like. And we don't, like you said, maybe necessarily understand the risks associated. We don't necessarily know. Um, or we overlook really amazing breeds like the pity mixes because we have this stereotype that they're not smart or they're dumb or they're mean or or whatever it is. Um, and there are a lot of animals in the media. I mean, like when you really start to look at everything that you're watching, start paying attention guys to commercials, to the Charmin bears, right? Right. I mean, yeah, yeah. there are animals, anthropomorphized and depicted in, you know, I'd say almost 80% of what we watch in some way or another. And if we start to pay really close attention, we can see where we're getting into trouble. And I think we talk about this all the time, but like just getting in front of these things. And so since we know this movie is out, this is something you should be posting or talking about on your social media all the time, regularly, well before this movie came out. Stay on the up and up with literally, quote unquote, pop culture. Get your boss to pay you to be on BuzzFeed. I don't know, but be (laughs) ready and in front of these stereotypes and depictions, because we're talking about something as silly as breeds here, right? It's not really silly, but you'll see where I'm going. Yeah. But now I'm going so much further as to say, like, what about the people who like try to pose for pictures with grizzly bears or want to pet raccoons, uh, uh, want to put their hands on wildlife because of the Snow White effect, right? And because so much of we we have these experiences, we even have veterinarians out there going and picking up animals in the wild and making exotic animals look like handleable pets. Um so I think this is a broad reaching problem that again if we get in front of it and educate our clients on hey we saw this in the media what did you guys see what did you think here's what we know and really just help your clients have that info.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. You know, um if you find there's a couple of quick things here. One, I was uh, on an Animal Planet show called King of the Jungle years ago and they really, you know, wanted this was back, you know, in the Steve Irwin sort of era where, you know, it was very macho, you know, a lot of alligator wrestling, <laughs> crocodile were, wrestling. Were you the
1: king of the jungle?
0: Uh, almost, but regardless, <laughs> that's a whole other that's a whole nother episode, uh, and a lot of, a lot of stuff that. But anyway, I I would talk to the to the producer of the show and say how I objected to how we were handling or being asked to do different interactions with the animals, the wild animals, because of these very issues. I think it, it sets a very dangerous precedent. And and this kind of leans back, um, the viewfinders may not know this, but uh, when I was young, I always wanted to be an ichthyologist and I was crazy about shark research. And uh, you know, honestly, uh, for a long time I thought, well, I could always go back into marine biology, ichthyology. But um, one thing about sharks is if you look at the way they are portrayed in the media, they are almost always a threat to humanity and this really this is global so this is in almost all cultures but this also leads to people have no qualms about killing sharks you know right. in fact it's often celebrated i mean you have to, you pull in a shark here off the beach here in north carolina people are like woohoo you know thank you for doing that well, meanwhile there was no threat to humans right. so you know we just have to again you know as veterinary professionals as animal advocates we have to make sure that we are doing, you know, whatever it takes. And again, like like you said, Becky, most of our world revolves around dogs and cats and companion animals, but, you know, there's a lot more out there, wildlife, you know, sea, sea, sea life. I mean, and I think we have a responsibility. I, I really do think we have a responsibility.
1: Oh, absolutely. Oh, that I mean, that's the whole point of this conversation, right, is like, what can we help our colleagues do to get in front of what we are talking about today in terms of, you know, specifically this Cruella and Dalmatians, but on such a bigger level, like, every time there's um, any kind of movie media push that that creates a quote-unquote personality around any kind of animal.
0: Yeah, and, and, you know, Viewfinders, we've had Dr. Margie Shirk on here multiple times, and other people talking about, you know, banning declawing, and I'm not a declaw fan, right? I, I think, again, it's sort of, I, I lump that into the cosmetic procedures, like, cropping ears and tails and all that kind of stuff. I just I just don't, there's no utility in it and it just causes harm and suffering to the animal. Again, that's my opinion and you're free to have a differing opinion. But, you know, Becky, when we talk about like declawing, you know, in the same breath, I think many of us should say, well, and also that extends to ear cropping or trims and, and you know, tail docking and all that kind of stuff. I mean, do you think that this is all part of that conversation as well?
1: Yeah, oh, I do. And, you know, I think it's, again a hospital policy. Let's talk, let's come up with a policy. Let's make sure we know what the best move for our clinic is. But I think in general, talking about cosmetic procedures and, and it's, it's funny. Cause, um, you know, I've seen mama dogs who have had many a puppy and things get a little saggy and clients will be like, Hey, is there anything we can do to sort of trim things up, you know, wow. I think they get really focused on those cosmetics and those appearances. And so in my experience, no one has ever said yes. It's always kind of been like, eh, it's just kind of how things are going to be unless it's medically necessary. Right. And yet we so quickly, um, many of us and many clinics out there still so quickly go to ear cropping, tail docking. And, you know, we've talked about this before in terms of just the ethical implications and, and how frustrating it can be for staff that maybe have to participate in procedures they don't feel that great about. Um, but it's where the education really comes in and the hospital policy. And I think there are a lot of times that in the veterinary profession, we're scared to say no to our clients. We, You know, you in the beginning of this talked about parting ways with your clients over this. And I, I don't know that the confidence sits in every veterinarian to do that. And I think a lot of times they do work outside of their ethical... Wheelhouse, unfortunately, and so this isn't just a matter of what's best for the animals, the pets, the the first do no harm that we you know have agreed to do or not do for that matter, but it also comes down to I think our own ethical fatigue uh, preservation.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. The other thing too, viewfinders to just to point out that's really important, especially when we talk about cosmetic procedures, is this is completely within our control. Like, you know, there are many countries around the world that completely ban this. Like, it's illegal. If you do this and you are a veterinarian and you're brought up on charges, you're going to be in trouble. You could lose your license or probably will lose your license, I would assume. But, you know, in our country, there's another level of this, Becky. It's not taught in vet schools. Like, nobody in vet school is teaching you how to crop ears. So it's still this grassroots sort of, you know, word of mouth training that goes on out there. So, you know, hopefully in another generation, it's gone. On? I don't yeah. know. I'd I'd love to know like what the the Gen Z and and the Millennials think about this. You know, as, as a Gen Xer, I mean, I can tell you the vast majority of of my class was like, no way, this is nuts. You know, um, but obviously there were still some that are doing it and still doing it today. I'd love to know is it just going to evaporate over time? I mean, is that what you think will happen to some of these procedures?
1: I honestly, do I think that more and more. Veterinary students are graduating with boundaries and with different expectations about work, life, and ethical balance than they have in the past. And I think they, I hear of a lot more interns and new grads asking great questions on their interviews and asking questions that are important to them. And I think that they they will come out of school saying this is not a procedure I'm willing or going to perform. Yeah, uh, and, and, yeah. And
0: what about vet techs? Like, do you think that they are also taking that under consideration when they're selecting a job? You know, do they like say, oh, do you guys, I mean, obviously D-Claw, we've discussed that multiple times here. I think that is a trigger and that's going to be a, something that would prevent some people from working in a clinic. But what about like cosmetic procedures?
1: I think unfortunately for technicians, no. I don't think that one unfortunately i've seen so many technicians go in feeling like they're grateful to be given an opportunity for a job they don't have that feeling of like you're lucky if i come work for you with my education my experience my knowledge and my hard work ethic instead i think so often they're just like you know like the scene from rent like man we need this job and i don't know why and then um so no and then i think that is sort of what happens more in that ethical fatigue and burnout for our technicians is they're regularly participating in, and we've talked about this, in procedures right, right. and in treatment plans that they don't necessarily agree with.
0: That will hollow you out quicker than anything, for sure. viewfinders, if you are forced, not force, but if you have to participate in things that just really, you have tremendous ethical friction against uh, day in, day out, that, that will break your heart. You know, sometimes there are certain situations, uh, and maybe it's a, a flat-faced dog, you know, right? If you're in the UK right now, I, I'd love to know if any of our, our UK viewfinder family, um, you know, if you're experiencing that, like, you know, you go, wow, we don't want to deal with some of these issues, and yet your boss or your clinic uh, continues to persist. These are really good, good questions that we should be asking. But Becky, again, back to this big hit movie, Cruella, which uh, I love Emma Stone. She's fantastic. So nothing to do with her. But, you know, do you think, Viewfinders, that we're going to begin to see another surge in Dalmatians and Chihuahuas and Chinese crest? I mean, do you think that we'll actually see another wave of this? Will they be popularized like we've seen in the past? Will you start to see lots of of Chihuahua outfits (laughs) becoming, you know, uh, popular once again? I'd, I'd really like to know what you think about that.
1: Yeah, and I guess maybe even more importantly, tell us what you guys are doing to educate your clients, getting in front of these types of things. What are you using to help break up the stereotypes around cosmetic or visual or breed stereotypes that you guys face? You know where to find us to tell us what's happening. You can reach us over on Facebook or Instagram at Veterinary Viewfinder. And you can tweet at Dr. Ernie over at Vet Viewfinder (laughs) on Twitter. And we have an email. If you guys want to email us, um, we hear from some of you guys out there sometimes. It's veterinaryviewfinder at gmail.com
0: yeah and especially you know if if there's like a movie or a tv show or a an advertisement that's using a an animal in a way that you think is interesting or we should know about definitely let us know and and maybe you've seen an ad or tv show or movie lately that kind of hit you the wrong way and you go wow that just is not right that's going to cause problems i'd love to hear from you guys so again not a lot of answers today but a lot of questions and i think these are good questions to ask becky
1: they're great questions you guys if you get a chance don't forget to go over to apple iTunes or podcasts or the purple button on your phone, wherever you listen, if you leave us some stars and a review, it's a really big deal for us. We really appreciate it. Um, I went through the comments the other day and you guys are are so wonderful and nice and gracious in what you say and it really truly does make our day. So uh, hit us up.
0: Yeah. You have no idea of viewfinders. Like I literally was having a bad day a couple of weeks ago. And I remembered that Becky said, Oh, there's a new uh, review. And I went and read and I got to tell you, you know, it brightened my day. It kind yes. of flipped it around. So, so thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Because, you know, sometimes Becky and I are here on microphones and isolation. You know, we live in right. a small rural part of the country and it's so nice to be able to connect with you. We hope that you are safe and sound out there. And again, we really appreciate you listening to us every week. Talk to you next week. Bye. Bye. I think we got some interesting stuff.